Take your Bible, if you would, please. Turn with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter number two, please, if you would. So good to see you here today. I'm trying to get over this northern that came through. I'm going to have to start wearing long underwear all the way down to the floor. Uh, you say, why? Because my legs are cold. And uh, I guess they say it's poor circulation. I have no idea what it is, but I'm going to. I like this kind of weather. Uh, my neck starts swelling a little bit this time of the year. And uh, start thinking about deer hunting. Of course, I don't do any killing. I just do hunting. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a good deal. Well, we ought to have a funeral for all of Texas athletic teams today. I thought at least I'd get encouraged by watching TCU. Well, they must have been watching the Rangers and the Cowboys. And I said, I surely Texas can beat West Virginia. So tonight, I'm going to watch ping pong. The book of Mark is a little book, but it's a very expeditious book. It very, it gets right on with the subject matter. And the book of Mark is about Jesus. There's no doubt it's about Jesus, okay? From verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way through, it's talking about Jesus. Our Lord is either teaching us by example, by miracle, or by precept throughout the whole book. And to miss Jesus in the book of Mark is to miss it all. It's not about healing. It's about the healer. It's not, it's not about uh, necessarily what he's doing. It's about deity that does what he's doing. And, it, and it, it embraces our Lord as the Son of God. And I'm going to just read a few verses today. And this is my 12 o'clock message. 12 o'clock message. The Bible says in verse 13, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. This is chapter 2, verse 13. The book of Mark. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners... They said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth with and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You got that? Jesus said, I didn't come to fix the good. I came to save sinners. And call centers to repentance. Now, we 
left off right there last week and we talked about uh, a lost sinner in verse 14. We talked about a life-changing situation, how that uh, Matthew came in contact with the Lord and it changed his life forever and then a lavish supper and then a loving Savior. Please now, today's message begins in verse 18. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But thy disciples fast not. Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man, no man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filleth it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. No man can put new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth bust the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred, but new wine must be put into new bottles. As I began to read this uh, several years ago, uh, it's tremendously difficult to tie everything together, and when our Lord is teaching in this text, all of it is in context. The bottles, the patches, the britches, the busting, the wasting, the spoiled, the fasting, the critical uh, spirits of those who confront our Lord. All of it mixes in together. It's all in context. And if you don't read it in context, explain it in context, you don't get anything out of it. Could I talk with you today uh, entitled Patched Up Religion? Lord, I just want you to fix what I want you to fix today and leave the rest to me alone. Lord, fix my wife. Don't mess with me. (laughs) Lord, I don't want a complete fix. I just like to have a kind of a patch job. Lord, just put a patch on that part right now that's hurting. Leave the rest of it alone. I'll take care of the rest of it. (laughs) Just put a patch on that part that I'd like fixed right now. Fix her. Don't bother me. Fix the kids. I'll handle my own stuff. Boy, did he get quiet or what? Lord, I I don't need uh, a complete overhaul. All I need is just maybe a tune-up. Uh, there, there's a part 
that I'd kind of like to keep for me. Lost all my amens. Every one of them. I'm just going to turn around and preach this to Jim. He's the only one I think needs it because everybody else is not involved, right? Would it be all right if I talked to you for a little while today about patched up religion? Just Let's just patch it up. Let's... Let's not take care of the heart. Let's just take care of the outside. Don't worry about the inside. You know, I can, I, I can be uh, angry. I can be bitter. I can be ugly on the inside. Lord, just put new clothes on me. Give me a fundamental Baptist haircut. Give me some wingtip slippers. Hang a tie about my neck. Lord, make me look. Religious. Let's put a patch on it. Have you witnessed any patched up Christianity lately? The only problem is when you start washing the garment and the new patch, the new cloth has not been Treated by which it will stretch. If it gets wet, it begins to shrink. And that patched up part of your religion begins to shrink and can't handle the pressure. Then it begins to shrink and rip the old a lot farther and it looks worse than it was when you started. Jesus is trying to tell us that patched up kind of religion won't work. Being saved on your conditions don't get it. I just thought it would be a good sermon title. I'm not going to preach on that. I just thought. <laughs> I think maybe I'll try to get something that look like it's going to go over a little bit better this morning. Let's talk about wine. <laughs> Everybody likes wine. Please notice something, if you would please, just by way of review. I'm not going to take long. But I want you to notice something. As we start in the book of Mark, Jesus Christ is identified, has several titles and roles that has been attributed to him as far as we are right now. For instance, if you look in verse 1 and Chapter 1, you'll see that the title is given to Jesus as the Son of God. We notice in chapter 1 and verse 8, he's the Holy Ghost baptizer. Boy, I think, uh, you know, you say, preacher, we need our church baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, I, I just I, I just think God needs to do a work among us. And then in the third place, we notice in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, he's the preacher of the kingdom of God. In chapter 1, verse 21, he's the teacher with authority. In chapter 2, he's the forgiver of sins. In chapter number 2, in verse 13, he's the friend of sinners. And today in this text, he's the bridegroom. Notice in verse 19, he's referred to as the bridegroom. 
Today, I think we have in our country, listen now to me, please. We have Christianity that is total external and not internal. I think today we wear our Christianity on the outside and has nothing on the inside. And I think that's what Jesus is writing about. If you notice something today, he said, let's just patch up the old. Let's turn over a new leaf. Maybe if we could just do better, maybe our Christianity would be all right. Today, we have in our land a emerging church. I don't know if you know that or not. Emerging church. Our contemporary Christianity. We are changing the church to suit our society. We are changing everything in here to match everything out there. We are dealing now with a satisfied customer and not a satisfied God. We are becoming so seeker friendly, we have forgot all about being the savior friendly. We have now a Christianity that entails in this text, I believe, a Christian Christianity that stands for reformation without regeneration. Reformation without regeneration. What we don't need is turning over a new leaf. What we do not need is I am going to do better myself. What we don't need is to patch up what we already got. What we need is something brand new. Something that is new birth. Something that is a new creature. Something that will change us from the inside out. You can... You can... Bathe a skunk in any kind of, uh, uh, of perfume you like. You can perfume him. You can dye his black hair white. Put pink ribbons in his ear and dub him a house cat. <laughs> but if you're not careful... At the right opportunity, his true nature will come out. What happens when your true nature pops out? What happens when the patch you call Christianity starts to shrink? We have today a brand of Christianity that is absolutely void of regeneration. All it is is patched up. I started the church and now I'm living better. The emerging church, contemporary Christianity, contemporary Christianity is not only reformation without regeneration, it is regret without repentance. I got caught. Regret. Regret. 
Well, I regret that I am the way I am. So I walked down the aisle and put a patch on it. And I did not repent of my wicked, ugly, ungodly sin. There is no turning, bless your heart. That prodigal son, when he was out yonder in the hog pen of the world, he realized what he had done to his father. And he said in that pen, he said, my father's servant has it better than I. I think I will go back to my father. He not only had regret, but he had a returning to God the father. What we have today, ladies, I'm sorry, but what we are practicing today in the modern ecclesiology is a pinched up kind of religion. No change, no permanency, no inward change. Just patched up the outside. Christianity, reformation without regeneration, regret without repentance, And not only that, but religion without restoration. Just religious. Not enough religion to get us here on Wednesday night. Not enough religion to get us in the word of God on a regular basis. Not enough to get us uh, on a walk with Christ. Just an outward patch. What a shame. Jesus today is teaching us that kind of stuff won't work. Can we hurry? Watch it in verse 18. Let me give you this as we go down through these verses. Notice strange companions in verse 18. Strange companions. Watch this. Verse 18. And the disciples of John, notice, and the Pharisees. Used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? The disciples of John <laughs> and the Pharisees. <laughs> you talk about two unlikely groups getting together. Amen. The disciples of John the Baptist. You know what John the Baptist told the Pharisees when they came to be baptized? He said, you den of vipers, you bunch of snakes, you, you wiggle around in the grass kind of creatures. And here you got the Pharisees and John's disciples getting together. Maybe opposite do attract. Listen, especially when it's to their benefit. Opposites really do attract when it's to fulfill the desires that they want accomplished. What's these two doing together? Can you imagine? John the Baptist dressed as a woodsman, an outdoorsman, a rough, gruff. His vernacular must have been atrocious. And on the other hand, you have the Pharisees walking around in the religious garbs, the elite of all the elite, the educated of all the educated. I mean, the reach the top crowd and here they are, the elite and the down and outers, the gruff and the polish, they're together. Isn't it amazing? I wonder why God's crowd can't do that. 
quite unusual. Opposites do attract. What in the world? How did they do that? Isn't it amazing? When somebody gets a single issue. Well, preacher, why can't you have dinner with the ecumenical crowd in town and you guys get together on one good cause? Yeah, just forget all the other causes. Just get together on that one cause. Forget about the deity of Christ. Join with the Mormons. Forget about praying to Jesus. Join the Catholics. Start praying to Mary. What you need to do, preacher, is you need to... You need to cool up a little bit and join in with all the others for good. Like this crowd? Why don't your disciples fast? What's that got to do with verse 8, 17 where it says you need to repent to be saved? Well, really what's important this morning is why do not Jesus' disciples fast? Because, Brother Jim, the Pharisees fast and John's disciples fast. Why don't your disciples fast? Are we having fun yet? Isn't it really important that all of a sudden this fasting deal had become so important? Why blow this thing? Why this issue? We see an unusual, strange companions. Isn't it amazing how three or four or five or six folk get together over something so important and make such a big deal out of it It even gets bigger than the church, bigger than Christ, bigger than the mission, bigger than soul winning, bigger, 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 everything. This is the most important thing in the world right now, Jesus. Strange companions. Notice also a shared cause. Verse 18b talks about fasting. This is the hot potato issue of the whole thing. Fasting. Bigger than friendships, bigger than fellowship, bigger than anything else in the world. Fasting. You know what fasting is? Fasting is not eating. It's what you do when you go down to Golden Corral. And you go down the salad bar that's got every kind of meat in the world on it. Fasting. We've added a few letters and now we practice feasting, not fasting. Fasting. 
which is all right. Fasting. Did you know that in the Bible, the Jews in Judaism and in the law of Moses was commanded to fast one day a year. Once a year. On the Day of Atonement, once a year. God's people disobeyed God, went into bondage, and they came out of the exile, and they had began to fast four times a year. Not biblical, not scriptural, not commanded to God. They just thought it would be a good idea. In Christ's time, in the day when this was written, the Jews were fasting 200 times a year. Twice a week. Not commanded in the Bible, just (laughs) good idea that you do it. And somebody says, well, when? On Monday and Thursday. You say, how do you know that? How do you know not? But tradition says that when Moses went into Mount Sinai the second time, that Moses went in up on the mountain on Thursday, came back on Monday. So the Jews just thought that'd be a good day to fast every week. You say, how do you know that? Because when the publican and sinner in Luke 18 the Pharisees bragged adociously, Lord, I fast two times a week. Isn't that nice? All this issue, all this problems, without any scriptural warrant, they're arguing about fasting when there's no scriptural warrant to do that. Do you know anybody who gets hung up on things that they have no scriptural warrant for? How short your hair is? How long your drawers are? It is strange how we make big issues out of unscriptural Basis. That's what they're doing. Trying to get sidetracked. Jesus said, you folk just trying to patch things up. He said, your problem is you can't patch up Judaism. I didn't come to patch up Judaism. I come to make everything new. And then Jesus said, let me tell you why my disciples don't fast. Can I please show you a simple Clarification. Can I show you that? Verse 19. The Bible said, and Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. A Jewish wedding lasted seven days. 
They did not have a honeymoon. They were married and then they had festivities, celebration for one week. And if you were invited and you were a guest, you would offend the bridegroom and the bride if you did not join in the festivities. If they tried to give you something to eat and you said, I'm fasting, I can't eat. You got kicked out. The Talmud absolutely forbid any fasting any morning during that wedding period. Since Jesus is the bridegroom, while he's here, it is a time to celebrate and be joyous, not time to put on sackcloth and ashes and look like Baptists. (laughs) Jesus said, you cannot fast while the bridegroom is here and I am the bridegroom and that's why my disciples do not fast is because I'm here. It's the time to celebrate. Thank God we come to church not to look down in the mouth, look, look holy, look more righteous than anybody. We ought to come to church because he's alive, bless God, and he's made everything new. Not a time to mourn and look sad and solemn. It's a time to rejoice in the Lord. Amen, buddy. God bless you, Wolfenbarger. Hang in there. Do it again. And in verse 20, he tells us when there will be a time to fast. Verse 20, he says, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. And then shall they fast in those days. That's Calvary. That's when Christ is hung on the cross. That's when his life is taken from him. That's when he gives his life a payment for sin. That's when he lays down his life that you might not have to lay down yours. That's when he pays for your sin. And thank God he did that. And thank God he did it for a reason. A simple clarification. Now look at a sharp, at a sharp comparison, please. Verse 21. No man also soweth a piece of old cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filleth up taketh away from the old and the rent is made worse. Patching up. Jesus did not come to patch up their religion. And if you mix anything with Christianity, the rip and the tear gets worse. That's why Messianic Christianity ain't going to work. You don't mix Judaism and Christianity. You don't patch it up. That's why when you say that you, when you get baptized, you're saved. Hey, you don't mix anything with grace. You mix anything with grace, it's no longer grace. Works does not work with grace. And law does not work with grace. Nothing. It takes Jesus plus nothing to go to heaven. And you don't patch it up. Then he talks about no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine doth bust the bottles. And the wine is spilled and the bottles will be marred. But new wine 
must be put into new bottles. Somebody, I think Brother Brian approached me last week. He's going to start teaching uh, our kids about wine. I think he's going to start a brewery down at the school. I have no idea. And there's many and sundry interpretations. Did Jesus create fermented wine? Uh, was uh, why look like they're teaching here that fermentation as it begins to expand the gases in the old bottles it looks like the burst and wine is wasted and well preacher I don't know I don't really understand that all right verse 1 verse 21 is talking about the outside Jesus will make a difference on the outside It's not what you take off and put on. It's what he takes off and puts on. Got that? Verse 22 is dealing with the inside. Inside. Well, what's verse 22 talking about? Did you know that anything left in its natural habitat will not ferment? Now think, you said, I saw a squirrel one time eat some sour grapes and he got drunk. No, he got sick. Said he staggered. You get sick enough, you'll stagger. Anything left in its natural habitat, grapes, plums, peaches, apples, The juice left in its natural habitat will not ferment. It will rot, but not ferment. For anything God created to ferment, man has got to put his dirty hands on it. You're welcome. Say, how do you know that? Because I read it one time. Because I have been trying to make grapevine for years. But I just can't get there. I drink all the juice first. The Bible talks about new wine and old wine. Can anybody say amen? Well, what I need to find out about, where do I go to find out? Let me tell you something. If you go to the book of Psalms, you'll find out that the Bible said that new wine is in the cluster. It's grape juice. Unfermented grape juice. Greek word for new wine, old wine, your wine, my wine, and no wine is oranos. Same Greek word for all of it. New wine, unfermented wine. Old wine, fermented wine. Don't put new wine in those bottles. Now, this is how everybody interprets this. Don't put new wine in old bottles because when it starts to ferment and the gases and the expansion will absolutely bust the wine skins apart and everything is wasted. Please be informed that even 
Wood barrels cannot contain the expansion of fermentation. Let alone goat skins that is sewn together to hold the wine. Jesus did not say, put new wine in new bottles so that when the fermentation begins to expand, the wine will not be wasted. He said, put new wine in new bottles that there be no contamination which would cause the beginning of fermentation. Put new wine in new bottles to prevent fermentation. Because if you put new wine into old bottles, if you try to mix law and grace, things start fermenting. You're welcome. Well, I thought he said that the wine would ferment only if it's contaminated and old bottles that has had old wine will initiate fermentation. You don't do that. You don't patch up what you got. You don't patch up what you are. You don't turn over a new leaf and put a patch on you and you become a Christian. It takes new wine, the Holy Ghost of God, to move into your life and begin to make something new out of you and prevent a lot of the hell that's going on in the churches today under the disguise of patched up Christianity. Because Jesus said, there is a new way that produces new life. There is a new truth now. And by the way, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Quit trying to patch up. Your old religion. What you need. Is to come to Christ. And get a little new wine. In an old life. 